Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. From the epistle for today, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, so do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Amen. Luke the Evangelist has traditionally been ascribed the authorship of the Gospel, which bears his name, and also that of the Book of the Acts of the Holy Apostles, which means he wrote over one quarter of the New Testament, exceeded only by St. Paul. He was a Gentile, or perhaps a Hellenized Jew, which means that he spoke Greek and was fluent in Greek writing and culture and music, and for all intents and purposes, may have well have been Greek. He is regarded, listen up for this, because you may qualify, he is regarded as the patron saint of artists, physicians, bachelors, surgeons, students, and butchers. Butchers and surgeons being pretty much the same thing, I would imagine, at that time. It was believed he lived in Antioch, traveled extensively with St. Paul, and after Paul's death in Boethia at the age of 84, he was martyred by being hung from an olive tree. The entirety of Luke's gospel is full of the spirit of reconciliation, the reconciliation of God with man, man with God, and person to person. The spirit of reconciliation is necessary in all ages, at all times, and it would be best if we understood that before the first member of the sitting Congress is assassinated. We have come close to that sort of violence several times in our history. In 1940, two congressmen engaged in a knockdown, drag out fist brawl in the House of Representatives, one who didn't want us to join World War II, and one who did. In 1860, Senator Charles Sumner was attacked by a representative, I think, from South Carolina and beaten severely about the head, neck, and shoulders by a cane. He didn't recover for a year. So we've been on the edge of this, and if you count the Civil War gone over the edge, at least once, possibly several times in our history. We may have perfect organization. Spoiler alert, we don't. We may have perfect machinery and electronics, but unless we have the right spirit behind them, they will be of very little effect. The forces of coercion on one side and revenge on then the other never results in anything good. Christ revealed his spirit, and it was a reconciling spirit. He brought people together. He also divided them, but the ultimate goal was to bring them together. Some people, however, cause trouble wherever they may go. Others bring healing and blessings and such things. Uh, and uh, as that was St. Luke's message. As so should we. It does not have to be in moments of great political angst or cultural stain that bring about strife. All it needs is the hardening of a few hearts. I suffered my first heart attack at the age of 39 while refereeing a tag-team match that we called the parish council meeting. It was an unscheduled emergency meeting called to deal with a great emergency in the congregation. 
The subject of the meeting was rose bushes, the placement thereof. The ladies of the group had decided to decorate the outside of the church with flowers and with various kinds of, of, of things, planting them all around the building, and one was a group of rose bushes. The parish council chairman, who was a big, gruff ex-sergeant of Marines, and who told me that sometimes executive decisions had to be made, thought the rose bushes were improperly placed. Executive decision was made, and not only decided that, but chosen to move the roses without informing the woman prior to anyone arriving at church on Sunday morning. I did wonder why they were handing out pitchforks and torches as I came into the church. After the mass, for 90 minutes, I tried to manage this firefight, standing between people before they could bring harm each other, wrestling them into chairs, and alternately pleading and yelling at them not to hurt each other. I'm talking men and women in each other's faces like this. After an hour, I began to feel severe pain in my chest, which I ignored because it just seemed to me too ironic somehow. Yeah. And then a horrendous pain shooting down my left arm. Wait a thought. I'm going to die on this podunk mission because some bohunk couldn't keep his hands off the roses the ladies had put in the ground. Good, I thought. Then they'll feel bad. I have since concluded that they would not have. <laughs> a similar situation concurred in the New Testament during the construction of the first tabernacle that was used for worship by Israel in the desert. God had actually given the instructions for everything, uh, including the dimensions, the colors for the decoration, even the style for the priest's vestments. There was a catfight over what to do, who should do it, and basically, did God get it right? Can we actually be certain of this? So in the book of Exodus, God's response is recorded. Thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister in the priest's office. Take ye from among you whosoever is of a willing heart. The wise-hearted, the willing-hearted, the wisdom of the heart. This is what we should be praying for every morning of our lives, every time we get up. Fill my heart with wisdom. Give me a wise heart, a humble heart that has rejected the spirit of pride and has allowed the Lord to fill the heart with the spirit of wisdom and understanding. It is the heart that in the meeting thinks, you know, maybe Bo's idea isn't so idiotic. Maybe it's a better one than mine, and we should actually consider it. This is what puts ego aside and allows the Holy Spirit to speak both to and through us. But even seeking wisdom in the heart and avoiding pride and ego is not enough to encourage or bring about reconciliation. Humility must be backed up by repentance. Repentance is a conscious decision, a commitment to discontinue a sinful behavior pattern that has led to division and to hatefulness, to stop being my wife, in other words. Our words have no meaning, no integrity, and no power before God. It does us no good to come to confession and say that we are sorry if we keep beating our wife after we've confessed it. Yet there is not a decision to change our behavior, and there will be no forgiveness. 
there'll be no forgiveness. Confession is not an automatic ticket punch, but a process of learning and of change. So if we confess something, we must be willing to change our lives. Now we may fail, and that's something that all of us have experienced. We may find it very slow and difficult work, but if there is no decision to change, no desire to change, then we're just beating the air, as Paul says. We're accomplishing nothing. The God-pleasing, not the, this is God-pleasing, not the pious mouthing of prayers or uber prostrations or fasting until we faint, but the faithful heart learning as God teaches. As Jesus is quoted in St. Luke's Gospel, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. This one. So think of it this way. You can come here, you can kneel, you can pray, you can even receive the sacraments. Unless your heart is open to change, nothing's going to happen. Because nothing's going to change in you because you're not open to change. I'm a member of the Benedictine Order. And the third promise that a Benedictine monk makes. It, well, the first one is obedience. Uh, I'm sorry, stability, stability. Because they had a great problem in Benedict's days of monks wandering, wandering around, coming by and, you know, hanging out for a few days in somebody's monastery and, and eating, and that sort of thing. Which is why in the rule it says, if anybody can come to the monastery, anybody can come. They can be there one day. They can be there two days. They can be there three days. And on the third day, Two strong monks take them out behind the monastery and explain the rules of the game to them. You know, if you're going to eat here, you're going to work here, you're going to pray here, kind of thing. The second, interestingly enough, or the third, second is obedience, the third, comes out in Latin as conversatium vodum, which is something people have been, scholars have been arguing about ever since. But basically for us it comes down to openness to change. That's the third promise of Benedictine monks. You promise stability, you promise obedience, and then you say, oh yeah, by the way, we're open to changing our lives. Yeah. It's the obedience in the center that keeps those first and third together because they seem to be absolutely inimical. Stability you and I can fulfill by being centered in ourselves. Doesn't mean we have to stay in one place for the rest of our lives like a Benedictine monk it is supposed to, but often do not. It does mean that we can be firm in who we are, firm in what we are and what we are doing, and firm in our relationships with those around us. But by being so, that cleanses our heart and opens us to the change that God would have us follow. Today we commemorate the Feast of St. Luke the Evangelist, which I transferred from Wednesday evening, otherwise we would not have seen it. Luke was one of those who spent his entire life preaching the gospel, going with Paul, going other places, and what have you. And finally, like I said, at the age of 84, being hung from an olive tree someplace called Boethia, wherever that is. He was stable. He was obedient. But he was very, very open to change because he went from place to place and group to group. He was the only Gentile amongst the 12 apostles. You know, he was the only one who was writing... Gentiles and Greeks and people like us, everybody else was writing in terms that Jews would understand. He was open to change. 
He is regarded as being the first Christian iconographer, not the first iconographer. Pagans had it before we did. Jews had it before we did. But the first Christian iconography is ascribed to St. Luke. So he broke ground there. He was moving in a direction that many early Christians were nervous about because that, that seems pagan to us. And he said, yeah, well, here it is. Kiss it. Uh, all of the things that we see in his life, we can do just by witnessing, by writing, by being who we are. But first and foremost, seeking to have that wise and humbled heart that makes us have true discernment and to follow God in all things. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.